I have a cool quote from Winston Churchill. <laughs> Not that I don't know. about this or like yeah. just in general. <laughs> yes, it's about this. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hi, Mom. Hi, Anna. How's it going? It's going okay. How's it going for you? It's good. There's still like a pandemic and stuff. That sucks. Do you think that's going to be like forever? I'm starting to think it's going to be forever. I think it's going to be forever if people don't start following directions. (laughs) Wear masks, wash your hands. That's all we ask. (laughs) Stay home when you're sick. Stay home when you're sick. There's someone leaf blowing outside, so if you hear a... That's it. That's what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's not like we're at the dentist office not, and there's we're a just drill. waiting. We're waiting for our appointments. <laughs> it's summertime and people are working in their yards. Some people rudely, some might people I working add. very hard in their yard when it's like a hundred degrees outside. But hey, three in the afternoon. Whatever. When we thought it was safe to record. Whatever floats your boats. Yeah, it's okay. We respect everyone equally. Good job, everyone are, who's working. Do we have any pre-roll today, Anna-Marie? We have a sort of announcement of a thing that I think we're going to do. Wow, that's really vague. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that maybe, perhaps, I'm pretty sure might. it might be happening, I think. So we've been approached by, they call themselves an app, a company, a organization called Get Vocal, G-E-T-V-O-K-L, which is a podcast platform but it's like visual based and we've been asked to be on the Tuesday night comedy lineup. So I believe Which in itself is frightening. Did that's they, that we were pretty <laughs> rad actually. We were I mean they approached us. Yeah, I don't know how they There's emergencies. <laughs> so many There's things happening today. A lot of things happening. It's a busy day for everyone. Um, we're just trying to do an episode just to do a podcast and everybody else is really really busy today so um yeah we've been asked to basically have an hour on tuesday nights and it'll be as far as we know 10 o'clock central where we will go on it'll will be on video and people will be able to come into the chat with us and we'll be able to have them as guests on the podcast basically so our plan is to kind of treat it as a like call-in psychology show so keep an eye on our social media because i'll be posting like the link and how how to get there if you want to join in and we would love if you guys would be there just to make it worth our while to be live for an hour i guess so would they like i know that we've talked about that i'm technically challenged yeah so (laughs) would they talk to us like through their computer would yeah. we see them as well? I believe would it be like it, FaceTiming. Yeah, it would be like FaceTiming. Okay. So we'll be on one camera and you will 
like basically call in in a video call. Okay. You don't have to do video, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, we'll be able to have people in and answer questions and either about the show or about like a psychology subject or about a personal problem and mm-hmm. yeah. Kind of like the Fraser thing. It's the Fraser thing. We've That's what we've always wanted to do. We've Anna always have wanted always... this show to be the Fraser thing <laughs> and finally we have we've a chance to do it. We always wanted to be Frasers. <laughs> Okay, so if you, yeah, just keep an eye out for the links and for the details. Tuesdays at 10 o'clock 10 Central, Central okay. is, I believe, our current time slot. That's kind of late. I it might be, late. like, ready for you a nap. You might be sweepy. Mom might be in her pajamas. I might have to wear my jammers while we... <laughs> but if we're on the camera, I probably shouldn't be wearing eh. my jammers. We'll have a little, little Freudian slip sleepover. <laughs> Freudian sleeps. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Join us if you can. Even if you want to just pop in and say hi. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. With that being said, it's episode 67. And mom, what are we talking about? And not only what are we talking about, this was your idea. How did you come up with this idea? That's a really good question, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the question, Anna. That's a great question. You're a good interviewer. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was a little sad last week. I was feeling a little sad. And I was sitting in my chair in my little house <laughs> feeling a little sad. And my kitty cat came up to me and, like, started rubbing his nose on my face. And it made me feel better right away. So I started thinking about, just generally speaking, about how animals give us comfort and how animals are good for our mental health. It reminded me, too, of when I was a kid. And I've heard other people tell these kind of stories. When I was a kid, we had a mixed breed dog, a collie. Our dog's name, this is very original, our dog's name was Lassie. A collie um, named Lassie. Yeah, because we couldn't think of any other name for a collie, <laughs> apparently. But she was such a good dog that for a while, for a couple of years, like my main confidant, Aww. I would sit, I still remember I would sit like on the front porch with her and just talk to her like she was a human, except I knew that she wasn't going to judge me and I knew she wasn't going to tell anybody what I said, yeah. so I could say weird stuff. <laughs> and she wouldn't roll her eyes at me. And, and Dogs, that- the original humanist therapist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's kind of where the idea came from for this episode. The idea of how animals are good for our mental health, not only very specifically, which you're going to get into during this episode, like the idea of therapy using animals and service animals. And and that's a part of our world that has grown by leaps and bounds in the last several years, the idea of service animals. Uh, But just generally speaking, the idea of how animals are therapeutic for us as humans how animals affect our mental health. Yes. Yes. Positively. Positively. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes negatively. But <laughs> Sometimes negatively. <laughs> um, my cat puked on my carpet this morning. So. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a little upsetting. Yeah. But, I get that. It, but even then, like, they can knock things over and they can puke on my carpet and they can poop all the time. <laughs> that's but true. That's I'm what still like, do. man, I love you. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they must be doing something, right? So it's it's not only that that we feel that we love them basically unconditionally because mm-hmm. the pook and the pook, <laughs> pook the pook and the poops doesn't make us stop loving them. Yeah, but even more so that they love us unconditionally, yeah. and that's what you hear over and over again. You know that animals love us unconditionally, and that is good for our mental health. So we're gonna 
talk a little bit about that today. All right. So get into it. I think that we should start by saying very specifically that when we talk about animals being therapeutic for us, there is a difference between just the idea of pet therapy, meaning just having our pets, like my cat, giving me some comfort when I'm down, and the idea of animals being service animals or or officially, legally being, we we need to realize that there's a difference there. As far as if I, I just kind of wanted to do this because, you know, Freudian sips, we always talk about our boy, right? So our boy, Freud, he actually talked quite a bit about dogs specifically, which I don't know why I never knew this until I started reading this, but yeah. Various sources tell us that he often had his dog, his dog was a chow chow. There's a picture. I have a picture like of him small? with his dog. No, he's a, he's a middle-sized dog, but you know, they kind of look like lions. Oh, they kind of have the puff. Yeah, okay. yeah. His name was Jofi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. J-O-F-I. I would say Jofi or Jofi. According to the California pronunciation, it'd be Hofi. <laughs> right, Michelle? Are we pronouncing <laughs> right, that right? Those J's, yeah. And he kept his chow chow in his office. Originally, he did it for himself because he said that it helped him to be calm. And he also believed that the dog was a good judge of character. So, like, he would watch how his dog reacted to the client. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So the dog was there for the psychoanalyst. But then what Freud started to notice was that his clients were more relaxed when the dog was there, especially children and adolescents. Oh, sure. I bet. But he said that, you know, with reflection, he said that it really did seem to have an effect on, as he called them, his patients, um, that they were more willing to talk openly, especially while they were petting the dog or the dog was sitting near them. They were more willing to talk about painful issues Mm. openly. That they just seemed overall calmer and ready to share, which I think is really cool. The idea of animals being therapeutic has not really been there for a long, long time. The earliest things that I could find, although, you know, Freud would be one of those earliest probably, because that was like in the 1930s. But in the 1800s, this is not just about mental health, but Florence Nightingale, whom we always hear about, she found that pets reduced anxiety in the psychiatric patients that she was working with. So that was a long time ago in the 1800s. You kind of look at that. We've we've talked about this before where you look at something and you go, well, duh. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we say something and we're like, duh. That's kind of how I feel about this. So so pets make us feel calm, duh. I mean, humans pack bond with anything. That's why we have dogs. Because humans looked at wolves and were like, I want to have that in my house. And then they made them smaller. I told you I had a famous quote from Winston Churchill. You want to hear it? (laughs) Winston Churchill once said, quote, there is something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. I think maybe he could have said that differently. I think he was trying to pull one of his uh, his, his good talking thingies. <laughs> but he, he felt that he got comfort from being around horses. Okay, it sounds a little bit like bestiality, Winston. I want to call no, the cops no, a little. No. Okay. Do you talk about equestrian no, equine I thought you therapy? Were yeah. That is one of the, we talk about dogs a lot because it seems like dogs are the ones that are most often service animals. Right. Especially service animals. I'll talk about that a little bit. Even here in the area where we live, there's actually a farm that is specifically for, it's called equine, right? Equine therapy? Either equine or equestrian. It's not okay. equestrian. It might be equine. Basically, the idea that horses 
and the, on this particular farm, they have horses where I think that's mostly for children and adolescents that they go and they take care of the horses and they ride the horses yeah. and they it is equine therapy. Equine therapy, yeah, and that's that's something that has grown in popularity through the years, which I can understand. I would love to have a horse. Yeah, I think that would be totally cool. But scientifically speaking, animals have been proven when we are exposed to animals that it reduces our blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, then lowers our risk of heart attack and stroke. One of the things I really like about the cat thing is that they have scientifically proven that the purring of a cat... I can't it like resonates at a certain frequency. A frequency, that, yeah. that's the word, that lowers our blood pressure yeah. and calms us down. And I know that like when I sit and the cats sit around me and because I am a cat lady, so. Um, <laughs> She's just surrounded yeah, by Yeah, and they like purr. It's just like a, it's a very calming, peaceful yeah. feeling. When I have a cat that lays on me and is purring, it's like I can feel it all the way down in my soul. <laughs> right, like it connects to yeah. you. The other thing that we often talk about on Freudian Sips is the idea of the hormones that we have in our body that the feel-good hormones Mm -hmm. and specifically for this, oxytocin, which is the hormone that makes us feel love and connected and- The cuddle hormone. Yeah. We've talked about that in episodes, both about like falling in love with somebody like, Mm -hmm. and that when you have orgasms that it releases oxytocin and that's what connects you to your lover, but also like breastfeeding is one of those times. Right. But also petting an animal is a time when your body releases oxytocin. Episode 32 is attraction, by the Uh way, if you want to hear more about oxytocin. Oxytocin. Great hormone, great hormone. (laughs) Seal of approval, two (laughs) thumbs up, good hormone. Turn up the oxytocin, baby. So it actually has been scientifically proven that it has these physical effects on us to be around animals. Which, you know, we we talk sometimes on Freudian Sips about our spirituality. And for me, that's a big thing that I think I look at that like such a gift from God, that God would give us these animals. I, I also think, and it's been, again, research has shown that one of the reasons that it helps people with like depression and anxiety is that it gives them an opportunity to care for something else. Right. To take care of something. And that raises your self-esteem because you feel empowered that you're able to take care of something Mm -hmm. but also then you get that reinforcement and that feeling good it's a symbiotic relationship very good it's not just you know that we take care of them they take care of us too yeah man I guess I'm just going to kind of zip zap through this little list, okay? Okay. Just so that we have it all said. And I've kind of mentioned several of these things. So in in having animals around us, it does these things. It increases our self-esteem and our ability to take care of ourselves because we know we can take care of someone else, which is our little animals. A different living being. Right. It reduces anxiety and grief and isolation. You don't feel alone when you have a little animal that's with you. (laughs) A little animal. Uh, it reduces our blood pressure it helps with depression i read that it reduces cortisol yes and and that's the other part it also reduces the cortisol in the animal when we are affectionate toward them okay and i will tell you in just a minute my last little point that i'll give and then i'll let you launch into your stuff about a study about animals and their cortisol It also helps us with our self-control because there are times when animals do things that bug us. Right. But you look at that little animal and hopefully you you don't lose your self-control. Right. You know, if they go on the floor or puke (laughs) on your bed or whatever. I just looked at the cat this morning like, why'd you do that? Why? Why? Like, (laughs) I never once thought about kicking her across the room. It's Mm -hmm. just like, hey, why are you like this? And then I went on with my day. Right. Right. So let me tell you um, real quick about this study. This is by an organization called American Humane. 
which feels like it should say society. Uh, end, yeah, but it's it like, doesn't. <laughs> we, I didn't cut anything American off. American Humane. Okay. Uh, which is the country's first national humane organization. They did over, actually, like se- it took seven years to do this study that they called Canines and Childhood Cancer Study. Okay. Which is very specific, isn't it? It was the first and the largest randomized controlled clinical trial to measure the effects of animal-assisted therapy in the field of pediatric oncology. So they started with... so many big words, Mom. I know. <laughs> they started with 106 pediatric patients newly diagnosed with cancer, which just breaks my heart even That's to read lot. that. 106 kids who just found out they had cancer. Ugh. 60 of the 106 received regular visits from a therapy dog. 46 received just their standard treatment. They were considered the control group, which makes me feel bad for the control group. Yeah. But in the beginning, they measured that all of the children, all 106 of the children, basically were at the same level of anxiety and stress about, about their diagnoses. Understandably. Right. The patient population were children ages 3 through 17. God. They were newly diagnosed with cancer and they received regular chemotherapy treatment in an outpatient clinic. The study employed a range of psychological measures to assess stress, anxiety, and health-related quality of life among not only the patients, but also their parents. Mm. And the researchers, as I said, they found no difference in significance in the overall stress in the very beginning of all of those people. However... Data indicated that disease-related worry and anxiety among patients who had those regular visits from the therapy dogs in the very least stayed stable throughout the treatment. So as they went through their chemotherapy, they stayed stable, while the children in the control group became significantly more worried throughout the course of study. Additionally, the parents in the treatment group reported that their children had significant improvements in school functioning. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? I'll talk about that a little bit. The organization basically gauged that, indeed, the therapy, having the dogs with them, made the kids be able to handle the stress better. But because they were an organization specifically focused on animals, they also wanted to be sure that the animals were not feeling more stressed, sure. being around stressful situations, right? So the way that they did this with the dogs, was they, they would test the cortisol in the dog's saliva. Isn't that interesting? It's like Pavlov. I know. So they would study. As a side note, I thought about making salty dogs today, which would be the same drink that we had in episode nine where we talked about Pavlov, but... I was too lazy, so we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, but those were good. <laughs> those were so good. if you're interested in salty yeah. dogs, listen to episode nine. Those was that? Yeah. Good grief. That was, that a, was long a long time, time ago. ago. Wow. We've grown up so much we- since then. <laughs> we're so, we're different people we're than so when much, we had the salty dogs. We're so much more mature now. <laughs> we're just having beer today, which is pretty. Mature. Yeah. Very mature. Very mature. <laughs> Boring and mature. And laid back. So the data showed that the dogs showed no activity as far as having more More distress, stress, right, because they were with the people. And actually, in extended studies, they showed that dogs that were massaged (laughs) by their owners or their friends had less stress. Their friends? Stress. The the dog's friends? Not their dog friends. The dog friends. friends. They're... (laughs) There's just dogs, like, in a massage circle with other dogs. Right. So this idea of of having animals as therapy, as as I mentioned, you know, there's that thing about Freud, but we didn't really hear much about that during no. Freud's time. That was kind of a, a secret kept, I think. We didn't really hear much about this idea until the 1960s. There was a guy named Dr. Boris Levinson who did a lot of studies about uh, using animals 
to have positive effects on mentally impaired patients, especially kids and adolescents. And he significantly found that they were much more likely to share with a therapist once they had a rapport with the dog. (laughs) So that's kind of, I'm thinking about having a dog in my office. That'd be rad. And it wasn't really until the the 1980s that this actually kind of started to catch on like, hey, maybe we should actually make this a thing. Right. Where we use animals. And, And since then, since the 80s, it's really grown. The idea of animals being therapeutic has really grown by leaps and bounds. How's that? How? <laughs> like, do, like, is it how widespread is it to have therapy dogs or therapy animals? That's a good question. I have this, and it's a very vague note. The idea is evidenced by the fact that the number of pet-assisted therapy programs was under 20, like officially labeled pet-assisted therapy programs, was under 20 in 1980. But by the year 2000, there were over 1,000 programs. Wow. That were officially called pet-assisted therapy. Well, and that doesn't even... <laughs> that's like, not even service animal. I mean, that's just well, not yeah, but it doesn't even take into account like we have like you like uh, we have a therapist in town who I was like having lunch with her and she talked about how she has a dog that is in her office as well, mm-hmm. and it's like she doesn't want to. <laughs> she's at her office all day, and so her dog stays there just for like convenience. Mm-hmm. But she like I mean, obviously the clients have contact with the dog, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's not like that's a therapy dog, right? But those clients are getting the benefit of having a dog in their therapy. I would say that's like the Freud thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's not an officially like... Right, and we talked about before we started that I have a friend as well who has his dog yeah. often in his office with him and that the clients pet the dog. And right, and everyone probably, benefits well, from the dog. the dog is so spoiled, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Everybody so, loves the dog. So even those situations where it's not an officially licensed right. pet-assisted therapy program, like, you're still getting the benefit of mm-hmm. experiencing a dog in your near vicinity, which is a good experience. Exactly. And it makes sense, I think, you know, that that calms everybody. But I think it really makes sense that with children, yeah, it focuses, it's kind of the same idea as like when a kid comes into our office and we play a game with them sure. or we, we try to, you know, normalize the idea of therapy by just, hey, we're going to hang out and play some games and talk. And I always feel a little guilty when like I, I bring like this, uh, this week I had a, like a six-year-old kid and we played games and we talked while we played games. I mean, I was still doing therapy, mm-hmm. but when, when I like, brought him down to his family he was like we had so much fun yeah and i wanted to be like i mean we still like did stuff like we just it's not just like we were having fun we're there's things being talked about i had i had an adolescent this week that we played chess Mm -hmm. during the session and and afterwards he was talking to his mom about the chess game and she was kind of looking at me like what do okay, I pay you for? I'm paying you to play <laughs> yeah. chess with my yeah. kid, but yeah. But with children and adolescents, it's important to give them a way to feel comfortable, to relax, to open yeah. up, and so that's why we play games with them. But this idea of having animals around would be kind of the same thing. Right. Maybe I'll get like a gerbil or something in my office. You just have like a bunny running around and people are like, <laughs> what was that? Bunny? Snakes? I bunny don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, my uh, what animals do not cause my therapy to... cockroach <laughs> honey do you have mice in your office you're like that's my therapy mouse actually 
You've heard of a church mouse. <laughs> I have a therapy mouse. Therapy mouse. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most bizarre animals you could have for therapy. Cow? I wouldn't mind having an, some owls in my office. Oh, therapy owl. <laughs> they just sit there. The clients talking like Ooh. I was. I was really. I was bullied in school, and it's like who? <laughs> <laughs> Me. I was. <laughs> who? Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. A bird might be a good therapy, because what I would worry about in having a therapy animal would be allergies. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but that's very, that's insightful. So birds might be a little... They're not very cuddly, though. No. Your brother would think that a bird would be a good I was going to, yeah, Gabe has birds, and they're, he loves them. He's very close to his birds. He, he talks about them... Like, I talk about my cats, uh-huh. where it's like, I love them, but they are jerks. <laughs> I love them, but cats are chaotic evil, and you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> I love my dog, but I don't like her very much. Yeah, so I yeah. think maybe birds would, or maybe you would have to have, like, a section on your intake papers that's like, are, they, are you allergic to dogs? Are you allergic to cats? Pet dander. That's actually... Cats would be good because they just kind of would float around. Yeah, they're just kind of there. back to the allergy thing. Though. I think more people are allergic to cats than yeah, they are dogs. I think so too. And if you had them in your office all the time, the even if they weren't in there while the client was there, there would be that dander and stuff. So, right. Yeah. These are these kind of things you need to work out before you actually get into <laughs> having an animal these in your These are the things you need office. to talk about. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about it because I was going to stock up you my office. You were just office. ready. You were just ready to <laughs> uh, go buy three so maybe puppies. Maybe I'll get a horse. Maybe we'll do equine <laughs> therapy. There's, in my- just a, there's just like a stable door on the side of your office. And they're like, what is that? You're like, that's where I keep the horse. The what? There is a conference room right next to my office. I'm thinking I could put a little straw in there. You're like, hey, we're not having conferences. There's COVID. Can I keep a horse <laughs> yeah, in there? That's perfect. <laughs> I think my boss will go for it. the horse room now. <laughs> That's now called our stable. <laughs> Get a little miniature horse like like a little Sebastian in Perks and Recreation. Those little those are cool. <laughs> that would probably work. You don't have to ride them to have equine therapy. You just have to ride like, brush br- them. And talk yeah, to it's like taking yeah. care of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm gonna work on that. Okay. I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Thanks. Great. I'm sure your boss will be super happy. I'm going to tell her it was your idea, so. <laughs> My daughter thinks it's a great <laughs> idea if we turn the, the conference room to a stable. All right, so do we want to hop to the more legal aspects? Yes, let's do that. Okay. Let's hop to legal hop aspects. Hop like a bunny, like a therapy bunny, over to legal aspects. That's right. So not only is there pet-assisted therapy, but in a more general sense, like Mom said, service animals are becoming much more widely recognized, widely used, widely known. And like every kind. A lot. Peacocks. Peacocks? (laughs) I will talk about peacocks. (laughs) Okay, good. So yeah, like Mom was talking about, animals in general are good, and so good that the medical community has agreed that animals are able to be specially trained to be service animals, to help people perform certain tasks or maintain their mental and physical health. So let me clarify the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal, because they are different. That's right. So let's start with service animals. The Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, defines service animals as dogs, 
specifically. Oh, really? Okay. Dogs that are individually trained to work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Uh, this can include guiding a person who's blind. Like, guide dogs, I think, is the thing we're most familiar with, with, Remember, like, service yeah. dogs. Yeah. Pulling a wheelchair or, like, helping with balance. And these are called mobility animals. Alerting or protecting someone, either alerting them about they're their about to have a seizure or protecting them when they do have a seizure. Uh, these are called medical emergency animals. Reminding a person with mental illness to take medications. That's a great idea. I know. Calming a person with PTSD during an anxiety attack. Uh, I read that this was usually by like laying on top of them. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like a weighted blanket situation. And these are called psychiatric animals. Uh, even alerting a diabetic person that they're having a blood sugar issue because they can like smell the difference in their chemistry, which is awesome. I have <laughs> it's so cool. I have a great story about that because at, at our church, uh, there's a young lady who has a service animal that alerts people around her to seizures. Yes, but that dog was also somehow sensitive. Um, when my late husband was alive and had diabetes, oh. that there were there was a couple of different times when the dog would be around Bob and would start to act very agitated and bark at Bob. Like mm-hmm. he would just be standing there and he would like bark at Bob. And the woman told us that he should check his sugars. And and he did and he and he his sugars would be off oh my because gosh. the dog was sensitive to either highs or lows right. in the in his sugar count, which I think is That's amazing. Awesome. Isn't that well, amazing? And especially because he wasn't specially trained for right, that. Right. I mean it was just a but thing he, that he would But that also... was another one of those when you said the thing about laying on top that when the young lady would be getting ready to have a seizure, uh the dog would kinda like climb on top of her, like mm-hmm. lay on her and that would be the sign that it's going to happen. Right. But that is, is it, that just That's amazing. amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And they'll like clear the area when someone's having a seizure. Like, I mean, they can do a lot of tasks mm-hmm. that are really vital to a person's health to that make sure. amazing to me. Okay. So I know I said it's a service dog. That being said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a dog. Like we mentioned miniature horses. Uh, miniature horses can kind of do dog things, I guess. <laughs> There are some dogs that are bigger than miniature horses. That's so. true. So, like, I, I read about miniature horses that, like, can pull wheelchairs, can, like, be guide horses for the blind. <laughs> also, capuchin monkeys. <gasps> yeah. They have little hands. They can do all kinds of so stuff. So they can, like, hold things and turn book pages and stuff. I love them. I know. You've always loved capuchin monkeys. If you, it, It's kind of been your I thing. I think we have talked on an episode before about how I want a capuchin monkey and I want to name him Quirty. <laughs> so, yes, Someday. I love capuchin monkeys. Unfortunately, monkeys do not are not recognized under the ADA. Sad no. Face. No. Huh. But miniature horses are more so. Really? Yeah. And it's kind of state dependent. Like I read that Montana is one where it's more open that guide animals don't necessarily have to be dogs. They can be other animals. So it is kind of state dependent because America is just 50 small countries in a trench coat. (laughs) So, yeah. That's kind of (laughs) true. So this also leads me, like you mentioned that you have someone in, in your church and, and I've been like, I've worked at like church events with this animal and it's really hard, especially like we did vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. So she had a dog around a whole bunch of kids yeah. and we had to make really sure that the kids wouldn't mess with the dog because it's really important that when you see a service animal around, you know that they're not pets. They're working. They're right. like on the job. Right. I think it's it's really hard to see a dog and not like go pet them. 
But what can happen is if you pet the dog, they can become distracted from the job they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So if you pet the dog, they get overstimulated, they get all hyped up, they're not focusing on their owner. What can happen is if the owner is a diabetic and their blood is is wrong, is wrong blood, the wrong blood. (laughs) The bad blood. The bad blood. (laughs) Or if they're about to have a seizure and the Mm -hmm. dog doesn't alert them in time, they could get seriously hurt. So, I mean, it's it's really important that when you see a service dog, and he, if you're like, oh, hey, can I pet your dog? And the owner's like, no, it's not personal. It's right. the dog is performing a specific function. The dog gets love at home, don't worry. But mm-hmm. at the time, they are working. I was going to say in that that particular case that you said, that dog is so, has such beautiful eyes. It's a eyes. cute dog. It it's a, a cute really dog. Cute it's like dog. you just want to pet that dog. Yes. So it's really yeah. hard not to pet a cute dog, yeah. but it's really important that when you see a service dog, you know they're on the job doing on something. On the job. They are, do not bother me, I am working. Usually a service animal requires a lot of special training, like you said, like uh, that that dog had to be specially trained what to do when it, his owner was about to have a seizure. Right. And so so usually the services that they're doing are very specific. They need to be trained to do them, like training a dog on how to notice the, the blood sugar differences, on how to clear the area if someone's having a seizure, uh, how to press buttons for like mobility users, how, how to guide correctly if they're a guide dog so it requires a lot of special training it is legal in the u.s at least to train your own dog and i actually have a friend i used to work with her who she has three dogs and one of them it was much more kind of like well behaved and and my friend has diabetes so she trained her dog to be a service dog for her diabetes oh so she did that training by herself um at home that is legal but you still have to like get the correct certification and stuff mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's move to emotional support animals, or ESAs. So again, these are not pets necessarily. They're companions. Um, Usually this is a cat or a dog, but this is a little more open than service animals about what kind of pet can be an ESA. So rather than focusing more on physical disability, an ESA is for those with mental or psychiatric disabilities. Uh, So the animal is mainly there to provide companionship for a therapeutic benefit. That like we talked about, like mom, like you were saying, that the oxytocin is really important in and lowering the cortisol and just kind of calming and soothing the person, like their their anxiety and their depression. The nervous system is is affected, like they can calm the nervous system. So the blood pressure gets reduced, just all this stuff that is really affecting our mental health right. is positively affected by having a pet. So that being said, The person who wants to have specifically an ESA, like if you want an emotional support animal, you have to have a verified disability to be able to be eligible for one. It's not just for companionship. That's just a pet. Right. (laughs) I mean, pets give everyone positive benefits, but if you have a specific mental disability that you need, like the benefits of having your pet labeled as an ESA, that's when that process can start. And I'll go more into this uh, in a second. But unlike service animals, emotional support animals don't require specific training. Uh, They're typically just trained as much as other animals of the type. So probably not for cats. You can't really train cats. But (laughs) (laughs) they look at you and go, "Uh, no. (laughs) It's like, come here, buddy. And they're like, no. Don't feel like it right now. I don't want to. I'm laying here. (laughs) 
But dogs, you know, you might do obedience training just like non-ESA dogs might have obedience training. Uh, This part is really important because when you're taking an ESA out into the world, they need to be well behaved. Right. I mean, like one of the benefits of, of having an emotional support animal is that you may get to take them into places where other pets may not be allowed. So in that case... You're kind of an ambassador for everyone else with an emotional support animal. And it could make it really difficult for people, like the other people that have emotional support animals, to be taken seriously or to get those same benefits if someone takes their emotional support animal out or, God forbid, an animal that they're just passing off as an emotional support animal. And that animal wreaks havoc. I don't know. (laughs) Badly behaved. Runs up and down the grocery store aisles and knocks off the pickles. Right. Specifically that. Runs down, knocks him off, runs back. Yeah. Your capuchin monkey runs out and grabs all the Steals pickle Steals the pickles. Carries it in his little arms. Oh my god, they're so cute. Oh, and a monkey who steals pickles for me. <laughs> Talk about specific that training. That very emotionally supportive. If your capuchin would steal pickles for you. Okay, so like I said, one of the main boons of having a pet designated as an emotional support animal is that, like I said, they can be allowed in places where another pet might not be allowed. Uh, This includes letting service animals into businesses or even on aircraft, uh, letting a person have an ESA in a rental property when pets otherwise wouldn't be allowed is a big one, or like in college dorms or something. Uh, There's no requirements. Like service dogs, like when you see a service dog out, they have those little like vests. They have those little like professional. Yeah. Little business suits. I'm working right now. Yeah. Best. It does yeah. say, it's like, I'm working. Don't pet me. It's really cute. But there's no requirement for an ESA to wear anything like that, which seems a little like you should probably label them something. Somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because just the other day, I saw a lady with a dog in the grocery store and mm-hmm. just looked like a normal dog. And she's, and I thought to myself, I mean, I'm not going to ask her if right. he's an emotional support Like, animal. can you have that in here, You would ma'am? just assume that he is, but right. they should have some kind of tag or something. Sure, yeah. A little flag. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bike flag. Yeah! Ching, ching! <laughs> I'm giving my owner emotional support. I don't know. Like, I guess it's just my brand of anxiety, but I feel like taking an animal into a place where they wouldn't otherwise be allowed would make me have more anxiety. That people would be, like, looking at you and judging you. Yeah. And, like, you have to go through the whole rigmarole of, like, proving that they're an emotional support animal to let them inside. Like, So what do you do to, like, do you have to get a license? You have to get a letter. And I'll talk about how to get that letter. Okay. But that being said, like, if you do have an emotional support animal, the ADA forbids employers and stuff from discriminating against those with disabilities, including making exceptions for service animals brought onto the job. But by law, ESAs are not service animals. It's a different thing. Oh. So there are questions about whether the ADA applies here, um, whether the Americans with Disability Act covers emotional support animals um the current stance seems to be that you can have your emotional support animal at work if you can provide documentation for it but again that's probably business specific it might be state specific so check before you do anything with that Mm -hmm. basically so that being said let's talk about the process of how to get an emotional support animal and i got this from esadoctors.com so it's specifically a place that helps people get emotional support animals okay so the first step obviously is determining if you would benefit from an emotional support animal seems like pretty common sense like Mm -hmm. first step do i want the thing (laughs) 
Uh, there are a few common conditions that may make someone benefit from uh, an emotional support animal. So anxiety, depression, PTSD, although we kind of talked about how PTSD can have a, a service dog as well. Like they'll lay on you if you're having like a right. panic, panic attack or attack. something. Uh, phobias are really good too. It's just mainly for that companionship and that grounding and the, and the soothing qualities that come with that. So those are all conditions that self-soothing is really important. It can also be beneficial for, I thought this was interesting, ADHD and learning disabilities. So this is because these conditions stress out the brain. So mm. if you have a dog with you or a cat with you or whatever at school and you have like a learning disability, that animal is going to provide soothing and provide relaxation. And if your brain is more relaxed, it makes you better able to learn. Mm-hmm. That goes back to that thing about the kids with cancer. Yeah. Who did better in school. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, it's going, it's going to help just relax the brain and get you in a better headspace for mm-hmm. being able to do that. Well, it makes sense that if you are more relaxed and less anxious, you are more open to learn. Right. It Duh. just is one of those dumb moments. Dumb moments. Yeah. Okay, so that's one, step one. Step two, if an emotional support animal is going to help, then you need to contact a licensed mental health professional to get that going. So you would contact them to get the emotional support animal letter, which I'll talk about more in a minute about what that should look like. The site that I was on talked about how it's important to work with a therapist that you have a previous relationship with, not just to try to find a therapist to get emotional support animal letter. I have worked with people who kind of complained about people coming in just to try to get a letter like that. And I've actually been in situations, not with emotional support animals, but I've been in situations where people come in and like the first session that they're in, they ask me for like some kind of letter of recommendation. um, For medication or for... Yeah. Yeah. And I have to be really honest with them. Like, I don't know you. I can only talk about what I know and I have to clarify that I haven't been working with you for a very long time. Sometimes it just... Like, I I had that happen one time, and I wrote a very vague letter that was basically like, I've only seen this person once, Uh and they never came back. Mm. So it's very, it's very, it it helps to have that rapport built up for both of your sakes. Right. Because then you know that the therapist is understanding your condition to be able to recommend what you need, Mm -hmm. and also that you know the therapist well enough that you trust them to recommend what you need. So. That's a really good point. Yeah. So a legitimate ESA letter has to, like I said, come from a licensed healthcare professional. So psychologist, a psychiatrist, it could be a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner, uh, social workers, counselors, anyone that you have a relationship with like that. Mm -hmm. It has to be on professional letterhead. It has to contain their licensing information, has to be signed and dated, basically all the stuff that a good recommendation letter should have. And it has to establish that the person has a disability and that an ESA would provide the benefits for alleviating the symptoms of that disability. So the other thing you may run into is if you just start a relationship with a therapist and you ask them for a letter like this, they may say like, okay, I have to do some research to make sure that I know how an animal would help you with that, Mm -hmm. you know, because a a good therapist is going to want to do their due diligence with that or a, a good professional because, like mm-hmm. I said, it can be like a nurse practitioner or whatever. Basically, you'll use this letter to get benefits that come along with having an ESA. So if you go to an airline, you'll have to give them this letter like a couple days beforehand so they can make accommodations. If you are renting an apartment, you have to give this letter so the landlord will be able to allow you to have the animal in the apartment. 
And I think that there's like a thing where you don't have to pay like a pet deposit or whatever, but but I'm not super sure on that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so step three, got your letter? Great. Go get an animal. (laughs) The funnest step. So if you already have a pet, you can use your pet as an emotional service animal. So like you were talking about your cat, like if uh-huh. you if you wanted to get an emotional service animal, emotional support animal, is this service stupid? If you if you wanted to turn your pet into an ESA, you boom, could yeah, yeah ESA. Poof! You don't even have to give them a little vest or anything. They're just poof. <laughs> they're that. <laughs> uh, if you don't have a pet, just go get one like you would get another pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to come from a specific place. Like I said, they don't need specific training. You just go get a pet go to your local animal shelter local animal rescue you can go to a breeder but adopt don't shop (laughs) don't go to a breeder go go adopt a pet but like any pet this is a commitment this is serious this is a responsibility so don't just do i i I don't know i i don't know how much i need to go into that warning like i would hope that everyone listening to this knows that a pet's an important responsibility Right, right And obviously an important part is going to be finding a pet that's going to help your condition. Right. So if you're if you're anxious, find a pet who's going to soothe you. It's going to be calm. Yes. If you're depressed, find a pet who's going to lift you up. Uh-huh. That's another reason to maybe go to like an adoption agency, like like a rescue like, or something mm-hmm. because a breeder, like if you get a really small puppy, you don't know how they're going to be. <laughs> but, but if they're you, all cute. But they're you all don't great. Know what their personalities exactly. Are be when they get older, but yeah. if you go to like a like a humane society or an animal shelter mm-hmm. or something, then they'll be like, "Oh, this pet's really calm," or like, "This pet's really energetic," and mm-hmm. it'll make you get out of the house because you need to take yeah. them out. So they'll be able to give you more of an idea on how the pet actually is. Step four would be training your emotional support animal. Like I said, they don't technically require specific training like service animals, but it's important, especially if you're going to, like you saw the dog in the grocery store. Right. It's important that that dog would have like obedience training. Right. Because even though you don't have to pay a pet deposit or whatever, if that pet rips apart the house, you're going to have to pay Pay for for that. Yes. You're going to have to face the consequences if the pet that you're taking out or keeping in a house where they're not usually supposed to go is going to cause trouble. So actions have consequences. I don't know. (laughs) Make wise choices. Make Make wise wise choices. choices. And like I said before, if you have an emotional support animal, you kind of represent all other owners yeah, who have that. That's a good that. point. And so it doesn't, you know, seem fair that people generalize, but people do. And if your animal is going to be like a mess, <laughs> then <laughs> other people with ESAs are going to... animal off the road if they're yes, a mess. Exactly. I, I mean, I will use that to make a note. Don't misrepresent your animal as an emotional support animal if they're not. Mm. because first of all that's fraud and that's generally frowned upon but like i don't know if you want an animal in your college dorm just like keep an animal in your college dorm. hey don't encourage that <laughs> i say this as someone who had a cat in her college and that dorm. did not go well it did, did not it? go well so you can do it if you want it's probably not gonna go well yeah we had freddie mercury for three days and every single one of those days he peed on my bed <laughs> Freddie Mercury. So. He's probably doing it because he hated that name. <laughs> That's a great name. What are you talking For about? For a cat? I don't know. Of course. Okay. So, yeah. Um. Oh, the peacock. Yes. You mentioned the peacock. Yeah, the peacock thing. So, there was a 2018 incident where a woman tried to board a flight with her peacock. 
Oh my god. Um, I mean, aren't peacocks really high strung? I don't know. Like, I've never met a peacock. <laughs> but because of that, airlines tightened their restrictions for flying with an emotional support animal. I don't necessarily know if that animal was an emotional support animal or if she was misrepresenting it. Uh-huh. But again, either way, it made things harder for people with more, I would say, legitimate emotional support animals. In some states, if you give a letter or a certificate to someone who is not technically eligible for that, it's a crime. So some states have made it a misdemeanor to make false claims that your animal is an emotional support animal. And just because of that, there's kind of controversy. I think people probably believe that the fraud is more widespread than it is. But there was one survey where it said Americans generally believed that a majority of emotional support animals do serve a legitimate need. But the more experience that the people who responded to the survey had with service animals and emotional support animals, the more aware they were of fraud. So the, That's interesting. Okay. Right. I think it just made them, which I guess, I don't know. I guess I can see, like, if you see emotional support animals and service animals becoming more more widespread and more, uh, not popular, I guess, but but just more more common, right. then it might be like, hmm, I wonder if all of these are legitimate. Right. So, I mean, we talked earlier about how they really are just becoming more common because they're becoming more recognized as useful, as, mm-hmm. as beneficial. But, I don't know, I think people are just starting to kind of, like, be a little skeptical of it. I do think there are people that take advantage of it, too. Oh, sure. I mean, there's going to be there's people always, that take advantage. There's yeah. always, yeah. Yeah. A few of those people. So those are my notes on service animals and mm. emotional support animals. Okay. I was going to mention therapy animals, but we kind of already did. But also, there there's therapy animals that they're not necessarily just in therapy. We kind of talked about, like, like, cancer, having them with cancer patients. But they're used in, like, hospice care, hospitals, schools, uh, disaster relief. So it's slightly different than like animal-assisted therapy, like pet-assisted therapy. I think pet-assisted therapy is more directive, mm-hmm. but there's definitely therapy animals that are that are used in a variety of situations where right. people would be stressed out and need that relaxation. I know that when my grandmother was in a nursing home, that they had a big cat that would like yeah. visit each of the, <laughs> each of the like had a real personal relationship <laughs> with each of the residents, Aww. you know and. And then when someone would pass away, the little kitty would be real sad and lay by that person's door. There's been news articles about, like, cats who are like, oh, is this cat psychic? It knows when someone's about to die and it'll go, like, lay on – like, nursing home cats and stuff will, like, go lay on them. But at least the articles that I read talked about how it's something to do with, like, the body heat that the person's giving off or, like, Mm -hmm. even – I mean – Dogs can smell the difference in in blood sugar, so I'm sure that cats have some sense of that, too. I do think, too, that just the animals that, especially when they have grown in a relationship with us, they know when we're upset or when we're in distress. when something's wrong. Yeah, and they give us comfort in that way. Can you talk about how you were looking up therapy dogs and found dog therapy? Oh, yeah. Yes, if you, if you want to find out more about this topic and you start to uh, do some diving in your internet, you might find about how to take your own dog to therapy. <laughs> the and, other way and, around. Yes, and who is going to do therapy on your dog. It's like those and, uh, uh, pet psychics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what I was reading about, about how the therapists talk to the dogs and find out what's upsetting them. And yeah. <laughs> what's wrong, buddy? <laughs> Who's a sad boy? Who's a sad boy? What are you sad about? 
Do you have any closing notes before we wrap this before up? Before we close? Before we close, yes. Closing notes? I think it's just one of those things that we always talk about self-awareness. And one of the things that we learn about ourselves when we really start to try to be more self-aware is like what you said something about self-soothing. Mm-hmm. And when we learn what are the things that calm me down when I'm anxious or what are the things that help me when I'm depressed – and if you look at your own life and you have pets, I bet you that that's they have something to do with some of that. Yeah. And so it's something that's just in our everyday life that maybe we take for granted. Mm-hmm. But it's another way that we help ourselves to be the healthiest we can be. Sure. And to take advantage of that. If you know that it does help you calm down if you sit and pet your cat at the end of the workday, then take 10 minutes to sit and pet your cat. Or if it lifts your spirits to take your dog for a walk. I know that during the whole COVID pandemic thing that there have been these memes and things about people walking their dogs so much. You know, their dogs are like, please go back to work. Don't walk me so much. But the idea of having that responsibility to walk a dog is something that keeps you going and keeps you physically active but also lifts your morale so kind of embrace those things that your animal helps you with our uh, our cats have gotten used to us being around like especially my husband's teacher so he's been he's been Mm. quarantined since this whole thing started uh so now when one of us leaves like the cats will just kind of yell at the door for a while yeah i came home the other day and uh nathan said that the cat my cat pixel had like caught a mouse like one of the the our little toy mice Mm -hmm. that we have and set it by the door and just like did the i caught a mouse yowl at the door for a while (laughs) like mom come home i caught this i got for you i got this for you yeah she's the one who puked on my rug (laughs) (laughs) she loves you but she'll puke for you too (sighs) yeah i love her I think that's it for today. I think so. Mm-hmm. So everyone, please, when you're listening to this, we should be doing the Get Vocal thing Soon. the next day, Tuesday. So ah, okay. Yes. That so will if be... you missed the first Tuesday, listen to us then. Just note Tuesday that it's on a Tuesday. And look look for information. Yes, that look for links and stuff. Okay. You because, yes, I want to thank you, listeners. Thank you for being with us for Freudian Sips again. And, and encourage you to join us maybe in that other format as well and, yeah. and get to know us even better than we already know each other. Yeah, That'd be kind of fun. specific things in your life that you want to talk about or specific mm-hmm. things that we've talked about you would like to talk to us about. Or if you just want to be like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> So we'll do that too. Talk just like that. Hey, uh, how's it going? Please know that we do appreciate you, Sipsters, and we are so glad that you're with us, and we look forward to talking with you next time. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are Freudian Sips Pod on everything, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. And like I said, please keep an eye on that social media because that's where I will be putting the links up if we are doing the thing on Tuesday. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can come see us on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You can talk to us in person, face to face. Or you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're on Patreon. We just put up another Patreon book chapter review uh so if you go to ferdian sips pod on patreon you can support us there for a couple bucks a month please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening and then email us with an address and we'll send you a sticker stickers (laughs) and we'll see you next time and our theme music is sweeter vermouth by kevin mcleod and it sounds like this (laughs) 